Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Well, there is a sermon. Perfect. That was a perfect response to that. Perfect response to that bit of news. That's where you go, oh, yeah, great, there's a sermon. So here's the thing that I'd like for you to do today. I'd like for you along the way today to say this. I have that. I would like for you, you don't have to say it right now, but as we talk, I hope at some point each of you come to this place that you say, I have that. I really have that. Now, we launched into this series called Active Listening, and so I said we're going to have some golden rules, and we're a little series that's going from Mother's Day to Father's Day. If you count up the weeks, that's seven, so we'll have seven golden rules of active listening. The first one is the foundational truth, and that is God is listening to you. Uh, unless we really believe we have this place where we can unburden our hearts and our souls and that God is listening to us, we're, we're not going to have much resource to listen to others. And so the foundational truth is golden rule number one. God is actively listening. The core commitment is golden rule number two. We will actively listen. We will actively listen to one another. We'll take time. We'll ask good questions. By the way, I'm just reminded as I'm talking that I have to clean up a mess that I made last week. Everybody willing? Since we're doing everything, can I clean up a mess? Last week, we had folks join the church, and Vicki joined the church. Wave at me, Vicki. And I got a note that said, Vicki and Bob are joining the church this morning. And so I stood up here and said, Vicki and her husband, Bob, are joining the church. Vicki's joining the church, and Bob Detweiler's joining the church. <laughs> and Vicki and Bob are not married. So if you left last week and you spread that rumor, shame on you. And then Bob was so confused, he didn't even come up. He, he just said, I'm not getting into that. I don't, I don't know where this is going, but I didn't sign up for this. So Vicki, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Yeah, Bob. Bob, we're glad you joined. You can just raise your hand. I won't make you stand up, but, you know, welcome him. So today's golden rule, the third golden rule, I, I have digressed. The third golden rule is we all suffer from confirmation bias. We all suffer from confirmation bias. Unless we think that we're doing a little series about communication and how to get along better with our fellow human being, just so we're aware, that is not what we are doing. I hope that's a byproduct of what we are doing. I hope we actually communicate better with one another. We have more grace for each other, more patience with each other. But what we're actually doing is exploring this core belief, that the Scripture teaches us that what comes out of our mouths has something to do with what's going on deep inside our hearts. And why we are exploring this is because we want to examine what's happening in here so that what comes out here is different. So that we do not treat one another the same way as the culture treats one another. So that we love in a way in which we actually love others as we love ourselves. Where we treat others the way we want to be treated. 
And that shows up in the words we speak and the attitudes we hold on to. So that's why we're in this exploration. That's why we're talking about this in the first place. And so I, I, I want to do this kind of upside down because I think, why not? I think that makes total sense. In fact, that is the oil of gladness. <laughs> In fact, we're told that when we finally get control of what's going on up here, it means everything else in here is working really well. James says it this way. We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Amen? Jesus kind of gets into this conversation when he's doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he begins to talk to us about what's going on in the core of a human being. Listen to what he says, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gifts. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you might get thrown in prison. And truly, I'll tell you, you won't get out until you pay every penny. got dark really fast, didn't it? So this word, raka, is kind of undefinable. It's, it's an untranslatable word. We need a lot of words to explain what the simple word meant to those who used it. And what it meant was, do not hold people in contempt. In other words, Jesus is making this analogy. You can murder their body. That is not good. In fact, you'll get in big trouble. But I'm telling you, within the kingdom of God, don't murder their character either. Because you can murder their reputation, and that is sometimes even more painful and more destructive. And just so you know, that is also against the law. Not this law, but it's against that other law that you love your neighbor as yourself. You are breaking that law. Holding people in contempt, getting around ideas in which we look at other folks and, and, and we don't speak well of them. I, I would think as a goal, we could say, I'm going to get through a whole day and I'm only going to speak well of others. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except what is suitable for the building up of others that it may edify those who listen. And I wonder if just negative talk and criticism generally it just doesn't build anybody up. No one's getting edified in that process, even if we think we're right. So let's talk for a moment about confirmation bias. And just so you're reassured, we are on our way to the opening of James chapter 2. And he's got a few things to say. But before we get there, I want to lay a little groundwork. Is that okay? And this is scientific stuff. Are you guys okay? All right, this is Baptism Sunday, a lot of stuff. Are you scared that I'm going to preach for a long time? Is that what it is? You're like, oh, no, oh, no. I'll try to hurry. <laughs> Confirmation bias. Here's the definition. It's a tendency to process information by looking for or interpreting information that's consistent with our already existing beliefs. Though the approach is unintentional, it often results in the fact that we ignore information that is inconsistent with what we already 
believe. Confirmation bias is one example of how humans process information in ways that are illogical and biased. Many factors of which people are unaware can influence information processing. Philosophers note that human beings have difficulty processing information in a rational, unbiased manner once they have developed an opinion about an issue. Thankfully, none of us are highly opinionated <laughs> about issues. You can start saying, I have that now. Yeah. One explanation as for why humans are susceptible to confirmation bias is that it's the most efficient way to process information. Humans are bombarded with information in the social world, and they cannot possibly take the time to carefully process every single piece of information to form an unbiased conclusion. Therefore, human decision-making and information processing is, is often biased because people are limiting their interpretation of what is happening to them, and they are doing it to protect themselves from harm. You say, oh, harm. <laughs> Listen to this. In a famous experiment, when participants were presented with evidence counter to their political beliefs, areas of their brain associated with physical pain became activated. It's easy to accept opposing views when it concerns things we don't care about. But if we have a deeply seated set of beliefs that form the core part of our identity, then evidence that runs counter to these beliefs cause, causes cognitive dissonance. That's a feeling of intense stress and anxiety. Cognitive dissonance triggers our fight-or-flight reactions, meaning we either dig in our heels and double down on our insistence that we're right, fight, or we flee the opposing view, flight. Your brain's primary goal is self-protection, and that applies both physically and psychologically. When opposing facts challenge our identity, our brain perceives the psychological threat and protects us as if it were an actual physical threat. It takes tremendous effort to hold opposing hypotheses and to try to evaluate evidence for and against each one. This is a good place to say, I have that. I have that. I have that. I, I just know this about myself. I know this is how I process information. I know this is what happens to me. I, I understand it. And why am I telling you this? Well, because that's just how it works in the world. And yet you and I, as part of the kingdom of God, are called to a much higher way of living. We are to love others as we love ourselves. We are to treat others the way we desire to be treated. Now, not all ideas are equally good. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But for right now, to just simply be able to say and confess, I think I have that. James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to, you meeting, meeting, comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes, and you say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand here, or sit on the floor, be at my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James has a real simple principle going on, and he is this, don't show favoritism. Now, in our culture, in our world today, we would all go, I don't think we should show favoritism based on economic status. Amen? 
you could, you could read that verse anywhere in any environment and everybody would go, yeah, that's not okay. That's not okay. In fact, interestingly, you know, we've kind of come, you know, a long way in this idea of showing favoritism. And even though we may not actually practice it, we, we don't believe that you ought to show favoritism based on race. Amen. We don't think you ought to show favoritism based on economic status. We don't think you ought to show favoritism based on educational background. We don't think you ought to show favoritism based on vocation. We don't think you ought to show favoritism based on language. We pretty much, as a woke culture and society around the world, we decided these are unacceptable ways in which to treat people. But the one place that we have decided it is okay to show favoritism is when it comes to ideas. We find it's okay to say raka to people who have ideas that do not align with the ideas that we have. And I would say that as a culture, we've gone one step beyond that. Not only do we hold in contempt the ideas that are dissonant from where we are, we hold the people who hold those ideas in contempt. I didn't say it was going to be a good sermon. I just said it was going to be a sermon. So when James begins to talk about this reality that we are not to show favoritism, and he uses this one example, it's fair to say that the other New Testament writers address this issue of favoritism too, and they use it in a much broader context. So that Jesus is accounted in Matthew's gospel, the Pharisees come to him and we say, we know that you do not, you are not a respecter of persons. And that doesn't mean that he's disrespectful of people. In fact, what it means is he respects all people equally. That it doesn't matter if it's people of low report or if it's people who have a, you know, a, 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 a high office, that Jesus regards them all as very valuable and important. Peter, in, in chapter 10 of the book of Acts, verse 34, he, he says, I now know that God is no respecter of persons. He's come to that after a long battle with racism, believing that the Jews are the only people that God really loves and he doesn't really love anybody else. And, and he only comes to this conclusion when the Holy Spirit is poured out on people that he doesn't think should be getting the Holy Spirit. And then he confesses, I now know. I've seen it with my own eyes. Paul in Galatians, he says, in Christ there's no slave or free. There's no Jew or Greek. There's no male or female. These are revolutionary thoughts in the early part of this understanding of favoritism in the life of the kingdom of God. If you're wondering what's happening, we always want our children to be a part of the celebration of baptism. And they didn't get the memo that I was going to preach a long time. <laughs> you should all be reassured now because there's no way you can preach a long time with all this going on. Come on in, make yourselves at home. Sit on the floor, go wherever you need to go. There's more over here. We got a lot of kids space on both sides. Remember a few minutes ago when I said, you know what we're gonna do today? Everything.
All right. How many of you are guests with us today? Just, you know, just, just wave at me. Welcome. This is a normal Sunday. It's a typical kind of chaos. We do this kind of stuff every single week. We're glad you're here. All right. Everybody's somewhat settled. All right. So James is inviting us to not show favoritism. So here's what I want to get out of this next about five minutes, and then we'll be ready to do our baptisms. Number one, I want us to become aware of our own confirmation bias. And then I have a closing point to make, and it'll hopefully wrap everything up in a nice, neat little bow. Number one, be aware of how you gather information, because how you gather information is tainted by your confirmation bias. You're not getting all the facts. Number two, not only remember that how you seek information, but how you interpret the information in front of you is being influenced by the deepest part of your core beliefs. Your brain automatically knows how to filter out things that are dissonant from what you already think. Knows how. Knows how to grab hope. Human beings are amazingly efficient at grabbing what confirms what they think and rejecting what they need to learn. Number three, it affects how you remember things. It affects how you remember things. So I'm going to ask you to do three things. Number one, I'm going to ask you to approach life with curiosity. Do you know why people believe what they believe? Study after study. Why? Is it because uh, that they came to church or they didn't come to church? Is it because of what their parents told them? No. People believe at the core of their being what they believe because of their experience because of what happened to them. And for you and I, as people who are going to love others as we love ourselves, and remember this, Jesus was constantly in trouble for loving those beyond the orthodoxy of the church. I mean, what did he get in trouble for? Because he was always hanging out with the sinners and the publicans and and the heretics. The Samaritans, they're the winners in every story Jesus tells. You couldn't pick... The Samaritans contrasted with the priest and the Levite. This love is supposed to spill beyond. The scripture says you're to love others as yourself. Not just those that love you, but those who are your enemies. Those who might spitefully use you. Those who might persecute you. We do not speak contempt. We do not hold in contempt. We are ambassadors and agents of love. Amen? And we all have a confirmation bias. So we're going to live with a curiosity about what's going on. We're going to seek And understand disagreement because it matters. What happened to you? Why do you think what you think? Let's talk. Let's get engaged in something that takes us into a deeper place. And number three, I want to have us think about our thinking. Do you do that? Do you ever step outside of yourself and say, I'm going to think about how I'm thinking, and I'm going to think about how this other person is thinking, and I'm going to be curious about what experiences led them to think what they think? Because now I'm going to bring this down to what I really said all of that to say this one thing. Not all ideas are equally good. And sometimes I'll have people say to me, well, you know, Jesus went around offending people. We shouldn't be afraid to offend people. And I always want to say, he was the son of God. (laughs) When you get that level of confidence... Go offend people. (laughs) Until then, 
maybe hold back just a little. And maybe think about this. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The one who had the right to go around smacking people chose not to. Instead, he drew them into relationship, and he drew them into a loving circle. And here it is. When is the last time someone you know had their life changed because of a compelling argument? That is not what we do. When is the last time you spoke to your child who has grown up to a different set of beliefs and and they're out in a space that you don't feel good about? (laughs) When's the last time an argument drew you closer together, got them closer to changing their mind? That is not what we are about. What we are about is introducing people to a relationship with Jesus Christ who transforms forms us all from the inside out into what we're supposed to be. And the last time I checked, folks in here need as much help getting transformed in the likeness of Christ as folks out there. Okay, that was weaker. (laughs) Because our confirmation bias might be even deeper and stronger because we believe passionately. But aren't we called... Not to change people's minds, but to love them in a way that leads them into relate. Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. Don't punch them in the nose and tell them they're not smart and hold them in contempt for their beliefs. How can we become active listeners? Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because anger does not accomplish the righteousness which God desires. You and I are ambassadors of reconciliation in this world, and our job is not to change people's minds. It's to change their hearts. It's to introduce them to a loving Savior who can rewire them, rewire the thinking, and you know what? He may have to rewire some of our thinking. Amen? Amen. I mean, you've been going to church a long time. Some of you are old enough now that you remember those crazy people that used to run the church. (laughs) Amen? Remember that? When we were young, we were like, I don't know. we got to get these old people out of here because they are messing it up. Now we are the old people. (laughs) In a moment... We're going to have teenagers come up, and they're going to pass through this water. And it's a representation that says, my life has been changed by the love of Jesus Christ. And it is informing what I think. And it's informing what's happening inside of me. And we're going to celebrate this. This is what we're after. A transformation of heart. We're not arguers. We're not debaters. We're not going out into our world to combat people. We are people who are ambassadors of reconciliation as though God himself is making his appeal through us. And we all have a confirmation bias and we think we're right. If we didn't think we were right, we would start to think something else. But just because we think we're right, it doesn't mean we are. And we will filter information so that our brains don't hurt. And it's time for us instead to get out of our heads and to throw our arms open and to love people, 
to listen actively to their story and to what's happening to them, to share empathy and love. Let's say a prayer. God, we're asking you to help us that as we think about what it means to be active listeners, that you would shift our focus from changing people's minds to, in fact, leading them to the God who can change everything about us. We thank you for this moments of celebration, for baptism, for what it represents. We dedicate these who are going through this moment. We're thankful for the grace it represents, and now we're asking you to take these moments and to bless these candidates and their families and their friends. We pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and everybody said together, Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.